What's going on? Welcome back. This is the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR78. We're breaking down the Cincinnati Bengals, your defending AFC champs. Um, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how this team got to the Super Bowl last year after winning just four games this season before obviously Joe Burrow having a lot to do with the rebuild here happening so quickly in Cincinnati. Um, but like I said, you know, we're going to be jumping into the AFC North after we got this uh, Deshaun Watson news this week. We can finally kind of uh, get a better picture of what the Browns are going to look like in this in entire division as a whole. So we're starting with the AFC North champs. Again, the Cincinnati Bengals. It just feels weird if you consider where we were at this time last year. Uh, the team went 10-7 and seven in the regular season, which I think people forget. A lot of hype behind this team after the Super Bowl run. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, the theme of this episode will be me kind of trying to make the case for this team being a little bit overvalued and overrated and overhyped coming into this season. It was definitely impressive what they did towards the end of last year. And, you know, you don't get to the Super Bowl by accident. You have to win the games. I get it. Um, this team, to be honest, luckiest Super Bowl run I've ever seen. Uh, you know, this is just kind of the curmudgeon in me here getting some shit off my chest. I was pretty, pretty angry with how the playoffs played out last year. Now, you know, maybe I'm biased, maybe not, who knows. But my opinion, these playoffs were horribly officiated every single week. And the Bengals got bailed out by the refs a couple of times. Uh, specifically that Raiders game, I, I thought was pretty poorly handled down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And the Chiefs game, there were certain things as well. Um, the Titans, it wasn't so much the refs as it was the Titans kind of shooting themselves in the foot stupid decisions, Ryan Tannehill being careless with the ball. Um, but I really thought that this team got to the Super Bowl with a combination of bad officiating and the opponents they played beating themselves. Um, they beat the Raiders 26-19 in a game that was actually a little bit closer than that, really coming down to the last final minutes. Um, they beat the Titans 19-16 to on a walk-off field goal. Again, Titans just really shooting themselves in the foot there. And then they beat the Chiefs in Kansas City 27-24 to on a uh, field goal in overtime as well. And the Chiefs really, again, beat themselves. I mean, they had an opportunity to go up, uh, I believe it was 24-7, um, to could have been 31-7 to at one point going into the halftime. They had the ball on the one-yard line, and they managed to not only not score, you know, they they pass on the field goal, they try to get the touchdown, they keep it inbounds, come up short for the goal line on a boneheaded pass to Tyreek Hill in the middle of the field when he could have thrown it out of bounds or ran out of bounds or done literally anything else to at least get a field goal there. They cost themselves three, if not seven, points. And then, you know, a lot of just mental mistakes from the Chiefs really down the stretch of that game. Um, Andy Reid typically, you know, abandoning the run like he, he has throughout his career in the most crucial moments. Three straight pass plays called on the opening possession of overtime. I mean, I'm already going four minutes into here on what happened in the playoffs, but it, it was a weird run to me. And again, this team a little bit overhyped coming into this season, in my opinion, especially for fantasy purposes. Now they got to the Super Bowl, and this is where 
I'm going to kind of contradict what I just said. They should have won the Super Bowl, okay? Because that Super Bowl was even more poorly officiated than the last three games that I talked about. Let's just do this right now. It'll come up again in the Rams episode, but the NFL clearly has an agenda. They've had an agenda for the last X amount of years since they moved the Rams to L.A. They're trying to grow football and they're trying to grow the brand of the NFL in Los Angeles. There is so much untapped revenue in that Los Angeles market for the NFL. Um, so they're really, you know, just force feeding Rams content down our throats and down the people in Los Angeles's throats. It's so obvious to me that the NFL needed the Rams to win this Super Bowl. A, a victory in your home stadium in L.A. in a massive media market where you don't have a strong football fan base, you know, what better to kind of get a PR boost and maybe get the people of Los Angeles a little bit more invested in their football team to have a Super Bowl championship at home in their own stadium. So guys like Matt Damon and, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio can show up in the press boxes and it can seem like, you know, it's like they're trying to do what the Showtime Lakers did in the 80s as far as making this less about football and more about celebrity and and production value and glamour and, and money. It's all about money with the NFL and it really drives me crazy, but... If you look at that game, yes, you can, you can, you can point out the um, botched call on the T. Higgins offensive pass interference, the 70-yard touchdown in the second half in the third quarter, which obviously changed the score of the game drastically. But for me, that was early enough in the game where you don't know like, that that directly impacted the outcome. I mean, obviously, any change of score. But the Bengals could have still scored on that drive in a different manner, and it wouldn't have really affected the game uh, from a finalistic standpoint. The thing that I have an issue with is with a, a minute 40 or whatever it was left on the clock, with the Rams at a fourth and goal from the eight-yard line with the season on the line, the refs called not one, not two, but three holding calls against the Bengals' defense and give the Rams three shots at a fourth down conversion with the season on the line. Are you fucking kidding me, NFL? Make it a little bit less obvious for me so I don't have to sit here and lose my fucking shit. Eight months later, or whatever we are here in August, still very bitter about it. I just, this shit is like pro wrestling to me at this point, and it's, it's a little disappointing that this shit... It's so fucking blatantly obvious. It's so fucking annoying. Tampa Bay wins it in their home stadium two years ago, and now L.A. does it. You really think this shit is happening on accident, guys? All right, end of rant. Let's try and be logical for the rest of the episode. But uh, this stuff makes me feel like an absolute crazy person, an absolute paranoid conspiracy theorist, and um, I don't know. I ho hopefully it makes for good content. This team, like I said, you know, a lot of weapons and a lot of firepower on that offense, a little bit overrated. They were a good unit, not a great unit last year. Seventh in points per game, solid. Only 13th in yards per game. Scoring 27.1 points per game, moving the ball 361.5 in total yardage. Defense, pretty mediocre. 17th in points per game, 22.1. 18th in yards per game, 350.8. Turnover margin dead even at zero, tied for 16th in the NFL. 
the defense really stepped it up along the playoffs as well. Uh, you know, if we want to look at the playoffs last year, Joe Burrow's only averaging 276 passing yards per game. It's not like the guy was putting the team on his back. I mean, I just read it off. Listen to these point totals that they allowed throughout the playoffs. 19, 16, 24, and 23. That's very good. And obviously the 24 and 23 against the Chiefs and the Rams, their defense holding their opponents in the first two games to 17 and a half points. You're going to win football games that way. So again, like while the offense gets all the credit for that Super Bowl run, really like 70% of the wins were basically earned by the defense and the kicker. Evan McPherson went on a historic field goal run, and this team really struggled to finish in the red zone consistently throughout the playoffs. They just they hit all their field goals, and they played good defense, and they didn't turn the ball over. So it really wasn't as flashy and as spectacular as everybody wants to sit here and remember it as. I know that Joe Burrow's a really cool guy. I know that you can get lost in the swag a little bit, but... We just got to come back down to earth on these guys. They're not a powerhouse. They're not the next dynasty in the AFC. They're the Bengals, and they're a good team, but they're not the New England Patriots yet. Coaching staff is completely returned. Zach Taylor's back for, I believe, his fourth year. Jury's still out if he's really a good coach or if it was just kind of the Burrow effect getting this team over the hump. Um, let's talk free agency. Let's talk personnel. Uh, starting tight end CJ Uzama was their most notable loss this offseason. He signed with the Jets. Um, they brought in Hayden Hurst to replace him in the starting lineup. I'm not the biggest Hayden Hurst fan, but this team doesn't really need a superstar at tight end. They need someone to block and be kind of a check down option. So that works. Um, Another loss or losses for this team, cornerback Darius Phillips, wide receiver Auden Tate, offensive guard Fred Johnson, and defensive end Wyatt Ray are all the notable departures in free agency. And the additions, they really went and beefed up that offensive line. And, yeah, I'll dive more into the offensive line in general here. Um, they added three guys and three starters on that O-line Offensive guard Alex Kappa signed with um, from the Buccaneers. Offensive tackle Lyell Collins signed from the Cowboys. And center Ted Karras signed from the Patriots. Last additions in free agency, tight end Hayden Hurst and tight end Nick Eubanks. So back to the O-line, I wanted to say um, it's really notable what they've done to improve this O-line. Obviously, the downfall of this team in the Super Bowl and throughout the postseason throughout really the last two years has been the um, failure to protect Joe Burrow from a pass protection standpoint. I believe he set the record for the most sacks in a single preseason this year, taking 19 sacks throughout the preseason. And I think the Rams ended up piling up like six or so in that Super Bowl. I don't have the exact numbers, but I know that the Titans sacked him, I believe, eight or nine times in that Tennessee game. Again, pretty ridiculous that a, a team that honestly didn't, perform that well at many points at all throughout the playoffs managed to get as far as the Super Bowl like I said like you just shouldn't win games taking nine sacks and only moving the ball for like 300 total yards it's it's just weird and they were just fortunate to catch the breaks this postseason the O-line what we're supposed to be talking about here they have invested quite a bit the offensive line is left tackle Jonah Williams who they spent a first round pick in 2019 on uh, left guard um, Jackson Carmen is a 2021 second round pick. 
the other three guys are all, um, you know, big free agency signings from this year with a lot of financial investment. Center Ted Karras, three years, 18 mil. Uh, right guard Alex Kappa from the Buccaneers, four years, 35 mil. And Lyell Collins, three years, 21 mil. So you can see they have a first round pick, a second round pick, and three substantial financial investments on that O-line now. The idea is that they um, are, you know, clearly hopefully a improved unit and maybe even a strength at this point for the offense because <clears throat> they have all the weapons, they have all the firepower, but um, you're not going to be able to get the ball to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase downfield if Joe Burrow's only got two seconds to throw it. So, uh, that was the big thing that I noticed from this team this offseason was the commitment in free agency to spend, spend, spend on that O-line. They re-signed quite a few players here. Um, not many notable names. Let's run through it. Cornerback Eli Apple got brought back. Eli Apple sucks. <laughs> He's so bad at football. He, he had a couple, like I guess, decent games down the stretch where Pro football focus was was really blowing smoke up his ass. Um, I don't care about their rankings. They don't know what the play calls are. They have no clue what's going on on the field. They can rate guys however they want. Eli Apple's not a good corner. He's the starting corner for this defense, um, along with Shadobia Wuzie, and that's just not a very good secondary to me. Jesse Bates really holding it down in that secondary, but I don't love really the talent there from a starting perspective. Um, Mike Hilton is a really good slot corner and actually Dax Hill is a guy on the, uh, on the depth chart right now. They have him at corner behind Eli Apple. I could have swore that guy was coming into the league as a safety, but maybe, maybe they're playing him at corner. Um, but the secondary, I just, I have no faith in Eli Apple to play consistent football. That's I'll end it there. Um, defensive tackle, Josh Tupon, um, hope I'm saying that right. He got re-signed. Um, cornerback Trey Flowers, wide receiver Stanley Morgan, quarterback Brandon Allen, and free safety Michael Thomas all got re-signed. Let's talk about the draft, and yeah, their first-round pick was Dax Hill. I just mentioned him. I guess he's playing corner right now. Sorry that I didn't look into that, guys, but he was drafted as a safety out of University of Michigan. Um, good player. I like this film. Uh, we'll see how the transition goes if they do keep him at corner. Um, obviously big addition to that secondary if he turns into a player. And again, I, I think he's really talented. Um, three safeties going in the first round this year is a pretty strong safety class. And Dax Hill is a big reason for that. So I'm underwhelmed by the defensive personnel, to be honest, guys. Trey Hendrickson is a stud on that D-line. Sam, Sam Hubbard's a solid uh, pass rusher as well. Um, but the the linebacking core, some pretty underwhelming names. And I just mentioned, you know, the secondary. If Eli Apple is technically your number one corner, I don't think that's a great place to be. So back to the draft. They added another player to the secondary here. And I'm looking at the depth chart, and he's buried. He is their fifth corner on the depth chart. But his name is Cam Taylor Britt. They drafted him in the second round. Round three, continuing to add to that defense, defensive end Zach Carter out of University of Florida. And round four, another offensive line investment, Cordell Volson out of North Dakota State. Um, it's uh, not 
you know, that's surprising that they go defense and O-line here in the offseason. They already have every receiver under the sun, it feels like. Really good receiving core, obviously. A lot of weapons here. Great running back, QB set. Beef up the trenches, get a little bit more meat and potatoes on this roster, right? So let's look ahead now. Schedule, win totals, futures. I got to say their schedule is pretty brutal, and I'm leaning towards the under on their win total. Um, let's do win total before the schedule. Nine and a half is the line for win total. And when I wrote these odds down on July 10th, over nine and a half was minus 120. It is now minus 130. So the over is getting invested in a little bit. We're seeing some cash drive that line up. Um, the under previously plus 100, now plus 110. It's interesting, you know, I just actually on our Lions broke, breakdown, um, if you guys listen to that one, I, I did discuss a little bit how I trust the line movement this time of year on these futures a lot more than than your average line movement in a midseason on a football game because there's so much sharp money influencing the market right now. So it's, it's interesting. I think I'm going to go against where the sharp money is coming in on. Um, but the schedule again, I mean, let's go back to that and you'll see why I'm leaning towards the under nine and a half. The schedule is the Steelers, Cowboys, Jets, Dolphins, Ravens, Saints, Falcons, Browns, Panthers, Steelers, Titans, Chiefs, Browns, Bucks, Patriots, Bills, Ravens. So as far as, you know, teams that we can pre be pretty confident they won't be good, the Jets, the Falcons, the Panthers, it's kind of it, right? I mean, the Steelers, question mark. Miami, New Orleans, Cleveland, I guess. You know, question marks. Um, it's interesting they have, if Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension holds, they get Watson twice. They don't have a Browns game during the suspension. And again, that back that back stretch. I mean, their last seven games, Titans, Chiefs, Browns, Bucks, Patriots, Bills, Ravens, that is brutal. That might be the most difficult schedule in the league over the last seven weeks. And Man, it's also a thing where I think this team could potentially struggle to get off to a hot start. You know, the Super Bowl hangover is a thing. This is a young team that could be potentially smelling a lot of their own shit this offseason after really some overnight success. And, you know, again, Joe Burrow is the talk of the town, the bell of the ball this offseason. He's everybody's favorite young franchise quarterback. And rightfully so, the guy's a swagger hound, the guy's a winner, the guy's a leader, the guy's an elite pocket passer, he has exceptional pocket presence and the ability to manipulate and extend plays. That said, you know, I just have to kind of be a pundit here and kind of go the other way and say, let's pump the brakes. Again, ridiculously hard schedule. I might as well come out and say this now because it's difficult to talk about the returning champs without kind of talking about who I like to win this division. I'm not going to save it for the last episode of this division. I'm picking the Ravens to win this division. They're currently the favorite as plus 170 
to win this division. The Bengals are at plus 200. The returning division champs and Super Bowl appearing Bengals not favored to win their own division. People forget how good the Ravens were last year. They were the first seed in the AFC before Lamar Jackson got injured. I think that team will be back this year. And to kind of, you know, parlay that thought, this Bengals team last year, I mentioned how I think they're being overhyped, and specifically for fantasy. Now, the fantasy breakdown comes at the end, but statistically, I think this is relevant to the big picture for this team as well. The Bengals absolutely beat the shit out of the Ravens last year twice, okay? They played on October 24th and December 26th. The final scores were 41-17 Cincinnati and 41-21 Cincinnati. They put up 82 points in two games against the Ravens. And why am I saying that that's a negative? It's because the Ravens' defense was completely depleted last year. I think they were the 32nd-ranked secondary in the league last year, just absolutely getting dog-walked by like relatively mediocre quarterbacks on a weekly basis for fantasy. It was a defense that you were targeting for a fantasy matchup as a quarterback and receiver matchup, and that's very uncharacteristic for the Ravens. They actually, on paper, have one of the best secondaries in the league, with uh, Marlon Humphrey and Kyle Hamilton in that secondary. Marcus Williams is a great safety, and they have a second corner who, for some reason, I'm not remembering. Marcus Peters, I believe. Um, Very good secondary, and I don't expect it to be as easy for the Bengals to move the ball on them this year. Listen to these stats, okay? The, uh, The first game there. The Bengals, again, 41-17 victory. Joe Burrow, 416 passing yards, three touchdowns. In the second game, Joe Burrow's stat line, 37 of 46 for 525 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. So that's two games against the Ravens last year where Burrow went for 941 and nine touchdowns. I don't think you can expect those stats coming from their two matchups against the Bengals this year. So that's already a huge red flag for statistical regression for this offense. It real, those were two of the best games of the season for Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. And I don't think that matchup is as, uh, you know, easy this year. I'm very confident in that. Um, So I think a lot of opportunity for this offense to see, you know, more difficult matchups this year. I think it's going to be tough to win 10 games with that hard of a schedule. You know, aside from their own division being difficult, I'm not ready to write the Steelers off either. And I actually, uh, if I had to pick right now, the week one spread is uh, Bengals uh, minus six and a half at home versus Pittsburgh. I'll take Pittsburgh plus six and a half right now. Clip it, send it back to me in September. So... I like the Ravens to win this division. The odds for the division for the Bengals, plus 180 back on July 10th, now plus 200. So those are going the other way. Even though the win total is going up as uh, we're getting 10 points from minus 120 to minus 130 on the over for the win total, the odds to win the division have dropped 20 points. So that's another indicator that, you know, maybe the over nine and a half being backed so heavily, maybe that is a little bit of public influence. And I know I said there's not a lot of public money in the market in early August. 
But I think, again, this team has so much hype on them after the Super Bowl appearance that we could easily see that being kind of a uh, reverse psychology angle there. I think they're asking you to lean into the nine and a half. This team won 10 games last year. They only got better. You know, Joe Burrow is easily going to win us 10 games. Let's pump the brakes. I'm taking the under. I'm taking the under at plus 110 there. Um, I also think there's a shot they missed the playoffs, to be honest. Uh, I talked about the offensive regression. I talked about how the defense really outperformed themselves down the playoff stretch. And last year being ranked 17th overall in points per game doesn't really reflect how dominant they were throughout January. I think there's a lot of opportunity for this team to be uh, maybe disappointing to those who think they have the next big thing here in Cincinnati. Their odds to make the playoffs, yes, minus 145, no, plus 110. And again, you know, if you only win eight or nine games in the AFC, how do you make the playoffs? I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I didn't want to come into this episode as a hater. On paper, this team got better. This is the fucked up thing about this episode. Like, uh, my dad's a Steelers fan, so I have I have a lot of conversations about the um, AFC North, and I've been telling him, look, like, I want to say that the Bengals, you know, should drop off a little bit because they overachieved last year, like I'm saying, but on paper they got better. I mean, those additions to the offensive line, you know, that was the Achilles heel of this team last year, and all they did this offseason was, was improve their O-line and really didn't lose many key pieces outside of, I guess, Uzama there. So it's weird. On paper, they got better, but I don't know if they can live up the, to the uh, lofty expectations of public perception right now. And that schedule is no joke. I really think that's a brutal schedule. I expect the Saints to be better, the Dolphins to be better. Like, those aren't easy wins this season. And that last seven weeks is a real fucking grind. So, hey, good luck, Joey Burrow. You know, I think that's that's kind of my breakdown there. Uh, the odds to win the conference have moved from plus 1,100 to plus 1,200 over the last three weeks. And the odds to win the Super Bowl have moved from plus 2,000 to plus 2,100, which, again, win total number going up, all the future is going down. You got to pay attention to that. Okay, let's fade the Bengals this year. Uh, and let's talk about fantasy. I, you know, I dove into quite a few uh, statistics on the offense for the uh, the past year, and I, I just I can't hammer it home enough. I, Joe Burrow's not worthy of a fifth or sixth round pick in your fantasy league. Like all these guys potentially being overdrafted. Let's talk about it. Um, honorable mentions: the backup quarterback is Brandon Allen. Um, two running backs who I won't waste time on. You should be aware if Joe Mixon goes down with injury. Um, Chris Evans is third on the roster, although if I, I, I think that he takes over the lead back role if Mixon goes down somehow. The other running back is Samaj P. Ryan, and he's really more of just a pass-catching third down back. There's talk about Mixon hopefully getting some extra third down work. And I would hope so. Mixon has the ability to do work in the passing game, and P. Ryan's nothing special. Um, it's funny, they had P. Ryan on the field for that fourth down, and he was the intended target. Uh, he really made a piss-poor effort um, at trying to save the game there. I'm talking about the last play of the Super Bowl. They didn't have Mixon on the field, they had P. Ryan. And, and again, watch the film. Like He didn't even dive for the ball with the Super Bowls on the line. 
P. Ryan, it's funny. I don't think he's that good in the NFL, but I was at West Virginia when he was on Oklahoma, and he actually broke the NCAA single-game rushing record against us. I think somebody else broke it like the next week. But uh, for one week, um, I witnessed history. So, all right, Joe Burrow for fantasy being overdrafted, I'm not in. He would have to be so bonkers efficient this year and be throwing at such a high touchdown rate that, you know, I'm just not into it. I wish I wrote this statistic down, but I actually just heard this morning. I believe second-year quarterbacks who average a touchdown rate of above 6%, um, they average less than a 3% touchdown rate the following year. So a major regression as their touchdown rate typically cut in half. Uh, Joe Burrow last year, um, 4,600 passing yards. And how many touchdowns? 34 touchdowns, 14 picks. So look, that's a very good season. But for fantasy football, if I'm not getting a guy that's going to provide me any sort of rushing value, uh, Burrow only having 118 rushing yards last year and two touchdowns. See, that's not enough to really influence from a fantasy standpoint his value to me. And if you're not throwing for like 5,045 touchdowns, I'm not really into it unless you have that rushing ability, like I said, because that's a cheat code for fantasy. Being drafted QB 6 this year, being drafted QB 13 last year, finished last year QB 8. So you exceeded your expectations last year. And like I said, those two blow-up weeks against the Ravens where he essentially won you your fantasy matchup, if not your fantasy league, those two games are not coming this year. So keep that in mind. Let's take 900 yards and nine touchdowns off the board there for Joe Burrow, and let's see where he finishes, right? Um, I think Mixon got undervalued for what he did in this offense and how big of a, uh, how much balance this offense has. Like, I think Mixon is actually a really safe guy for fantasy this year, and I don't think that this is just going to be the Joe Burrow show. Like, I think people want it to be. So, Burrow played 16 games last year, finished 10th in points per game amongst fantasy QBs. Another reason to pump the brakes, 29th easiest schedule. So third hardest, fourth hardest schedule amongst fantasy quarterbacks this year. Consistency-wise, only finished top six last year 18.8% of the time, 17th ranked. Finished top 12 56.3% of the time, 11th ranked. So he was giving you a QB2 or worse at 43% of the time, finished outside the top 24 only 6% of the time. But again, a QB13 through 24 finish isn't what you want for fantasy, and he's got that ability to fall into that range without the guaranteed rushing baseline on a week-in, week-out basis. So I'm not in at the draft costs. QB6 off the board, 54th overall. There's so many quarterbacks that you can get after him. Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, uh, Trey Lance, you can get super late this year. Matt Stafford's going behind him, finished ahead of him last year in fantasy. Tommy Brady, you can get like four rounds later. Just not into it with Burrow this year. Let's keep it moving. Mixon, I'm all in. I love Mixon this year. You know, Mixon was a guy that people... We're, he finally gave us what we wanted last year, you know, and it's it's like now people still don't want to trust it. Um, Mixon was a guy talked about as having elite potential and elite talent. 
um, for really the first, what, four years of his career. And then finally we get that massive breakthrough as the offense takes you know, a step towards being very good. I mean, you have a running back on a bad football team. You're going to have less touchdown opportunity. You're going to have less positive game scripts for yourself because your team is most likely in a pass-heavy game script making a comeback later in games. So your opportunity to establish the run is going to go down. As this team has more success as the offense continues to thrive and as this team you know, I, I know I said they won't win 10 games, but this won't be a four-win team again. You know, they're better than that. They're competitive now. They're relevant. And, and that's only going to help the running back stay, again, in positive game scripts and give you more touchdown upside. So he's being drafted 10th overall this year, 7th overall at the running back position. I think it's very fair. He finished running back four last year, playing a full season, running back seven in points per game. And, uh, you know, that's obviously an improvement after being drafted in the second or third rounds last year, 19th overall and running back 13. I think it's fair. I think he deserves the bump in ADP. In ADP. And I think, again, you know, with no real competition in that backfield um, and being a, the starting running back for a very good offense, I think you could do a lot worse. And he's actually, to me, one of the safer first-round picks. Um, if you're, you know, outside of that top five in fantasy this year, like, I think I take Mixon over Dalvin Cook, unfortunately, this year. It's kind of in that tier. I think I take Mixon over Najee Harris. Like, I, I'm willing to take him over some other guys. Even, you know, this is going to sound crazy because Eckler absolutely smashed this year. I might take Mixon over Eckler. We'll talk about it in the Chargers breakdown, but there's a rookie running back right behind Eckler there, and he scored 20 fucking touchdowns last year. I don't know if that's sustainable. Mixon's a guy I feel very safe with here in the you know picks five through ten of your fantasy drafts I, I feel good about it I'm willing to take him average draft position 10 I'm willing to take him slightly above that I think and again the offensive line only got better that can only be good for Joe Mixon so let's talk well no Mixon uh consistency my bad guys top 12 43.8 percent of the time 11th ranked uh, running back two, 13 through 24 on the week, 25% 19th ranked. So that put him in the top 24 at 68.8%. That was 12th ranked in the NFL. So the consistency is there as well. The games that he didn't finish top 24, he only busted out of the top 36, 6.3% of his games. Um, so a uh, quarter of those games as an RB3. But again, a bust rate of 6.3%, you can't get much safer. And in my first rounds, I'm all about who has the lowest bust opportunity there. You get your upside players and your home run swings a little bit later in your draft, in my opinion. But that first round, you just want a guy who's going to be in your lineup every week. You don't have to worry about him, and he can give you like top 10 production with top five upside that's kind of my strategy play it safe in the first round swing for the fences later Mixon's pretty fucking safe in my opinion uh receivers Jamar Chase broke football last year he almost set like every I think we had last year the Jamar Chase broke the yardage record for for rookie receivers and Jalen Waddle broke the reception record for fantasy receivers pretty insane both those records falling in the same year. Jamar Chase is very good at football. Uh, he's being drafted ninth overall in ADP, third overall at receiver, and he's a first-round pick this year after, again, just a bona fide superstar breakout candidate uh, or campaign, rather, in his rookie year. 
Last year, there was a lot of uh, negative reports coming out of training camp this uh, this time. Last year, um, you know, a guy couldn't catch a football. Uh, you know, I can't, I don't know who was putting those reports out. I really would like to go back and see, and like, what the fuck was that? Because the guy um, could not have had a better rookie year. Finished number five at the receiver position last year. Finished six in points per game. Played all 17 games. Um, he was being drafted wide receiver 26 last year and 71 overall. Now he's a first-round pick. It's valid. Um, while I talked about Joe Burrow being overdrafted, I do not feel the same way about Jamar Chase. I just think that although um, I think it's just different. Like I said, like for quarterbacks to really be good for fantasy, they have to either eclipse 5,000 yards or have a rushing upside. Jamar Chase, on the other hand, just needs to do Jamar Chase things. I bet it, I think it's a pretty solid bet that he does it again. He was a little boomer bust, a little inconsistent last year, and I think I think a point that I will make about these Bengals receivers is the fact that Jamar Chase and T. Higgins kind of at times have the ability to steal each other's value. Um, it's like on any given week, you know, you'll probably get a boom game from one of them, but the odds of both of them really going off in a single week, kind of tough, right? I mean, it's tough for any offense to sustain two top 12 receivers on a, on a seasonal basis and on a weekly basis. So that's something to be concerned about. And I'll mention it, you know, with the consistency metrics here. But I think Chase Chase is a great first-round pick for me if you want that explosive wide receiver upside. I mean, he was pretty volatile last year. I think he has the ability to give you less of those monster 250-yard weeks. But he should be more consistent, I think, in his second year here. He's clearly Joe Burrow's favorite target. They played together at LSU. And when you have that kind of continuity and that kind of chemistry built into a uh, passing duo... It just cannot be overstated enough how valuable that is, in my opinion. It's kind of that Bronk, uh, that Brady Gronk thing, where it's just like they played with each other for their whole careers. So that kind of mind sync that they have, just always on the same page, no matter what, and always looking for my guy. Because hey, if I'm in trouble, I'll just throw it to Jamar, and he'll make a play for me because he does it every fucking time. Um, so I think Jamar's getting ready to just be an absolute stud. Probably a Hall of Fame receiver. Let's put the gold jacket on him. I think Burrow's a Hall of Fame quarterback, and Jamar Chase is going to be tied to him for his whole career. It's actually funny. These guys are neighbors. Jamar Chase, when he got drafted to the Bengals, just like went to Joe Burrow's neighbor and said, hey, man, like, I'll double the value of your home. I just want to live here. Like, I want to live next to Joe Burrow, so so give me your house. Uh, pretty awesome move. These guys are best friends. Joe, um, Jamar Chase does Joe Burrow's shopping, so whenever you see Burrow in that just locker room drip, you can thank Jamar Chase for it. Um, Jamar's a stud. Draft him in fantasy. Again, consistency rankings, 29.4 in the top 12. 14th ranked um wide receiver two finished 17.6 percent 32nd ranked so top 24 only 47 percent of the weeks that was 17th ranked in terms of consistency so like i mentioned these receivers kind of play into each other's production at time although jamar chase was the fifth overall fantasy receiver he had a top 24 finish um of only uh, 47%. So those weeks, again, those matchups against the Ravens and the Chiefs where he busted open for 200 plus and two touchdowns, 
if those don't happen, we're going to need him to even out a little bit here on a week-in, week-out consistency basis. Um, again, not finishing top 24 in over half his games. He was a wide receiver 3, 23.5% of the time, and he busted outside of the top 36, 29.4% of the time. There's going to be a higher bust rate with these receivers. T. Higgins, very similar story. We'll look at his consistency. Top 12, 21.4% of the time, 26 ranked. Wide receiver 2, 14.3%, 41st ranked wide receiver two finish that puts him in the top 24 only 35.7 percent of the time that's 29th best in the league and so that puts him with a uh, wide receiver three finish of 28 percent and a bust outside of the top 36 of 35.7 percent that's incredibly high also and the reason I did T Higgins consistency rankings first not only to compare them to Chase but also to give you guys a reason why I'm going to say do not draft T. Higgins in your fantasy leagues this year. I think he's a great player. I think that there is potential for this Bengals offense to be one of those um, teams that can sustain two very productive high-end fantasy receivers. But in terms of pace of play and volume, I again, I allude to this team being more run-balanced than you remember them being. And then, and that you want them to be for fantasy, I think. And I think that um, the pace of play, again, this team moves relatively slowly. And that's something people don't really take into account. The passing volume will not be there. This team is based off of efficiency in the passing game, not volume. And T. Higgins is currently being drafted in the third round of your fantasy drafts. 32 overall, wide receiver 12. You're drafting him at his ceiling. You are drafting T. Higgins at his best case scenario for this season. And if he doesn't absolutely smash, and if Joe Burrow doesn't jump from 280 passing yards a game to 320 passing yards a game, you're going to be disappointed in this guy. Last year being drafted wide receiver 27 in the eighth round, finished wide receiver 24. So again, guys... He only played 14 games. He was he was 14th in points per game, but still, that is below where you are drafting him right now, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Again, with the high bust rate, the fact that he is the locked-in wide receiver two for this team, there is no overtaking Jamar Chase as the primary target in this offense. If anyone tries to tell you that T. Higgins has a chance to be the wide receiver one in, for this football team, just stop listening to them and go start doing something else with your time. Um, last receiver here is Tyler Boyd. He's not really being drafted this year except for maybe the back end of your leagues or best ball. He'll be a very relevant guy if one of these receivers, Chaser Higgins, suffers a substantial injury or loss of playing time. But he's not really a guy I'm interested in because there's no fucking way to uh, predict when Tyler Boyd is going to show up and have a fantasy-relevant game. Um, let's run through it real quick. Uh, wide receiver 49 off the board, 124 overall. Uh, he dropped about three rounds from his ADP last year of 91 overall and wide receiver 37. We saw T. Higgins and Jamar Chase just fucking obliterate last year and make Tyler Boyd the clear-cut third Receiver and irrelevant last year, really. Very good real-life football player, not good for fantasy. 
Um, finished wide receiver 31 last year, had a couple of boom weeks, a couple long touchdowns where it was just broken coverage, and that's really all you can expect from Tyler Boyd at this point as the third option. Um, again, finished wide receiver 31 last year, wide receiver 41 in points per game. Consistency-wise, top 12 finish 12.5% of the time, wide receiver 45. Uh, top 24 finish 25% of the time. So he finished wide receiver 2, another 12.5%. And so that's a top 24 finish of a 47th best mark in fantasy he finished wide receiver three 25% and busted outside of the top 36 in 50% of his 16 games played. We don't want Tyler Boyd on our fantasy teams. I'd rather take a stab at a guy that can actually be like a swing for the fences. Like that's what I'm talking about, where you want to play it safe early. And then as you go on later in your draft, you want to be more aggressive with your high upside home run hits. Like there's no sense in drafting a, a guy that's, you know, probably going to get you five fantasy points a week, but you know he has his role there, really. Um, who can I think of that fits that? Like a James White in years past, aside from maybe that one outlier season where White was dominant for fantasy football on a PPR basis, he's always just kind of a guy where it's like, what's the upside, you know, as opposed to taking maybe a rookie on – Let's let's say, for example, the Falcons running back situation, pretty murky, right? Cornell Patterson, really more of a wide receiver, and he's number one on the depth chart. Mike Davis isn't there. I'd rather spend my 13th round pick on rookie running back Tyler Algier, who's currently buried on the Falcons depth chart, but has an ability to be the starting running back a few weeks into the season if things go according to plan, at least from my perspective. Take your shot there. Don't draft Tyler Boyd, who you know is is just not really going to be an option for you unless there's a massive injury here. All right, so tight end Hayden Hurst, don't draft him in fantasy either. He's going 201, tight end 26. Um, I forgot to look it up. He's been on a couple teams over the last few years. Um, I know he was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. He went over to the Falcons. I want to see if he made another pit stop. Nope. Uh, Ravens 2018-2019 traded over to Atlanta in 2020. Didn't work out there. And then the Bengals this year. So Hayden Hurst is not a guy I've ever really been impressed with from a talent standpoint. He had a really late breakout age in college, and that's typically a red flag in terms of you want the guy that becomes a college football stud at 19 years old, not like 23 years old on his fifth year of eligibility. And that's what Hayden Hurst is. Again, the bulk of the production will come from those four key pieces, the three receivers and Joe Mixon. Uzama was a tough guy to stream last year for fantasy because, again, you just don't know when he's going to score a touchdown, and that's about all he's doing. I also think C.J. Uzama is pretty substantially more athletic than Hayden Hurst. I don't know if I've ever seen Hayden Hurst pick up more than two yards after the catch on a single play. Um, I don't like him, as you can tell. Uh, wasn't relevant for fantasy football uh, basically ever in his career. Did not finish top six tight end once last year. Finished top 12, 15% of his 12 games played. And busted outside of the top 12 over 84% of his games. Just don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Let's not waste any time on Hayden Hurst, that massive ginger fuck. That was our Cincinnati Bengals breakdown we are going to Pittsburgh next. We're doing the Steelers tomorrow. I'll give you my thoughts on whether or not Mike Tomlin will have his first 
losing season as a head coach in the NFL. That one, uh, man, that one's a tough one. Anyways, let's get out of here. Thank you for listening. Steelers up next on SGR 79. Ramble on.